0: Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. All right, so we are about to go into 2 Corinthians 4 and we're gonna be in verse six through 18 if you wanna pull that up in your Bibles and if you wanna pull that up on your iPhones since I don't think I've ever seen any of y'all with a Bible. All right, so all right, so here let me, let, me frame, let me frame out what's going on inside of the text right here, what we're about to see happen. So Paul is writing to the church at at, uh, the Corinthians. Um, The Corinthians are, um, these are Paul's babies. I always make this point because I think we need to understand what's actually happening here. Paul is the father of the church. He's speaking to them. Um, you know, they don't got cell phones and texting and all that other stuff and email. So when he writes a letter, he doesn't waste his words on, on, on flattery and games or whatever. He gets straight to it. So you know when he's talking, he's making very, very big points and things that are dear, near and dear to his heart. Um, inside of this text, Paul is going to be dealing with, um, he, He's going to be dealing with this idea of suffering. And how it plays into the work that God is doing and how we play a part inside of that. And so the context that, that is what's going on at the Corinthian church right now is that there's people who are getting confused. There's church members getting confused. It's very much like modern day. There's people who are preaching like a prosperity gospel. They're saying, hey, you know, if, you, if you roll with God, he's going to bless everything you do. Life is just going to be absolutely awesome. And Paul is like, no, nah, that's not really it. And you have to understand, Paul is the poster boy for suffering, right? So everybody everybody is watching Paul go in and out of jail. He's shipwrecked. He's being beaten. I mean, homies living thug life. He's like the the, the original Tupac Shakur out here, right? And he is going through it, right? Nobody knows Tupac? Okay, all right. I'm like, that joke should have hit somewhere. All right, but anyway. You know, anyway. So he he's going through it, but... There's people who are actually taking the opportunity to go, yo, the favor of God must not be on him. Like, look what's happening in his life. Like, he must not be really preaching a pure gospel because he's suffering. Like, that doesn't look like, you know what I'm saying, like good old Christians, you know what I'm saying, and and the way we're supposed to live, we're fruitful and abundant, and, and we smile all the time, and we never get angry. And so, Paul is going through it, and so he is actually gonna take this opportunity to hit that whole thing inside of this text. And I want us to see and watch how he plays this apart, how he pulls this apart. One of the ways I would give you to is, um, if we think back to the um, Good Samaritan story, right? So in the Good Samaritan story, you had, um, it's not going to be on the screen, so I'm just going go off the head, so forgive me if I missed some of the details. So in the Good Samaritan story, you had, you had a Levite, you had a, um, which is a priest. You had another priest going by. I think you had a third guy going by, and they're passing across the street from a gentleman who's been robbed on his way somewhere, right? So he's laying on the ground. He's bleeding. He's helpless, and they keep on moving. The good old men of God keep on moving past him, right? And then you have the good Samaritan in the story, and Samaritans are supposed to be disgusting people, and so much so that the Jews actually crossed to the other side of the street whenever they saw a Samaritan, because they're like, yo, you're foul, you're low, you're disgusting, and that was just their custom. Well, the Samaritan, low-down guy, whatever, as they described him, he rolls up and he sees the guy on the ground bleeding, and he stops, and he takes care of him. He bandages him up, he... he um, he takes him to a, a hotel. I don't know what you'd call that then, but an inn. So he takes him to an inn, and he actually finds a spot for him to stay, and he pays for him to stay there. And he even um, tells the owner, he says, listen, he says, you know, if he runs up a bill, I'll, on my way back from my travels, I'll come back and I'll actually, I'll pay for the bill, right? The reason I want to give you this framework, because as we're going through the text, as we get into Corinthians, I want you to kind of see where you actually fall inside of this story like, we, we have to understand that those priests that passed on the other side, they had to have some type of theology or framework in their heart that made it okay to pass somebody on the ground bleeding, right? So something, you know, that messed with their comfort, it messed with something inside of them, and they had some type of reasoning that let them separate from getting involved in that. My man who went over there of course there was suffering, there was sacrifice. He gave his money, he gave his time, he gave his energy. It was obvious in the story he was actually headed somewhere that he had to get to and he was like, man, I gotta get somewhere and I'm gonna be back and I'll take care of you then. So there is, he's, 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 he's giving of himself. So last week I made the comment, I said, you know, there's this thing where we, we kind of, we spend so much time protecting our good name. Like we're scared to be called bad when we actually should be scared to be called good, right? And so, as I work through the framework of this, this, I want you to think of yourself inside of the Good Samaritan story and where you may find yourself in life at times, right? So, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 18 starts like this. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has, I didn't mean to do that like that, I know that sounded cool, but anyway. All right, so it says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's a whole lot there. It's a very big statement, but it's a great statement because it tells us what God wants. And it's to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, God wants to reveal himself through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what that statement is saying. It's saying that God is saying, I want to um, have relationship with people. And the way I'm going to do that and the way people are going to see me is through my son, through the sacrifice he makes, that is going to make a way by his blood spill, by his the shedding of his blood, by his death, and by him... Um rising again three days later, it is going to make it where we can actually come into relationship, but it's only going to happen through my son, Jesus Christ. So if you know people or whatever, and they're like, man, I love God with all my heart. I don't really mess with the Jesus thing or whatever, you know what I'm saying, but I love God with all my heart. Fact of the matter is they really don't know God because there ain't no way to know him without knowing the son based on what the scriptures are saying. Y'all with me? Okay. So that's the what. We're revealing the father through the son. And how is he doing it? He's shining into our hearts, right? And so that scripture starts off. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts. So the idea here is that God is accomplishing this thing where we are coming into knowing him through his son, Jesus. And the way he's facilitating, the way this is actually going to work, the mechanism is our darkened hearts, right? So he, he, he says the God who is who is who has brought forth light out of darkness and and it's, and, and he's he's. Dealing with the idea that this is the God of the whole universe. This is the God of the whole universe. And is that my, my little bad baby over there making all that noise? I see it over there. All right, anyway. So I got distracted. I know that cry, whatever. All right, so, um, but so the God, so he's saying the God of the universe who actually turned the lights on in this universe, right? Who set it all off. He has brought that light into our dark hearts. And that is the way he is going to actually reveal himself to people by occupying us. And this is amazing thing because the Bible says that He pursued us while we were dead in our trespasses. So our hearts were blackened, and he called forth light inside of it by his own mercy and his own goodness that he put on us. Alright? So it's not good people, you know, who follow a good God, it's a good God who pursued some bad people, us, and brought us into understanding him. Y'all get it? Alright, so that's where we're at with that. So after Paul makes that statement, next thing he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing which is uncomparable outstanding power belongs to God and not us okay there's a balance. there's a there's a there's a there's a thing going on here right he says to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us so God's system for how he's going to actually his plan for how he's going to do this is very specific in the ideas that he has to make sure we know it's not us. So, so when it gives him glory, it's all you can see is him, right? Because, you know, we jacked up, man. We think we're cute. You know what I'm saying? We think we fly. We think God needs us, all this other stuff. And we'll steal that glory because we're broken like that. So he's made it in such a way that when he shines, we're going to know it was all, all him, right? And so when he's using the actual analogy, when he's, when he's, when he's saying jars of clay, the people then would have understood it to be, mean cheap, a jar of clay or whatever was fragile, um, it, it, it would break. If it did break, you couldn't reuse it because you couldn't melt it down and use it for something else or whatever. So it was, you know, it could be just discarded. It didn't have a lot of worth. So he's making that statement that this marvelous, amazing light has now come into these fragile jars of clay, right? Um, and you know, and in the scope of this big conversation, because we know that Paul is encouraging the people in Corinthian Corinth, he's he's encouraging the church, but he's also talking for the haters on the sidelines too, right? So he's also talking for the haters in the sideline, and he's bringing them back to this humble understanding, like yo, you ain't as cute as you think you are. You know what I'm saying? You're made out of nothing, and and this is actually about Jesus. So he's bringing this argument into and to a certain standpoint. There's a couple big points Paul is making here too. Number one, that God's glory is shown through our weakness. That's number one. He's also saying we are poor and wretched wretched in ourselves apart from um, Christ. He's also saying our weakness is essential in God's plan to reveal himself to the lost. Right? It's essential. You know, um, so I, I don't know if most of y'all know this or whatever, but so uh, back in 2005, I had a spinal surgery on my back. And I, um, man, it was, it, was, it was just a really super hard time in my life. You know what I'm saying? My wife had to bathe me, clean me, all this stuff. I walked for several years with a cane. I was on um, 24 hours morphine for like, it's like seven, eight years straight. And then it started messing my body up so much that I had to get off of it just for the sake of my own health. So my current condition is that I have to like deal with like a symphony of pain that, that actually is to the point where, it, you know, it makes you feel drunk almost. Um, if you, so if you wonder why I seem half schizo at the time, now you know. But anyway, so man, sometimes it, it makes it really hard for me to think and retain information because it seems like there's not enough room in my brain to, to function through the pain and actually digest information and, and, and all of that good stuff. So sometimes when I'm like working on a sermon, the most simplest stuff just seems like it's gonna kill me to get out of me, you know what I'm saying? Like it feels like so grievous and I'm always like, God, why in the world would you call me to do this when you know like what this is going to do to me? Like you know it's gonna feel like it's going to break me. You know my pride of not wanting to go in front of people and look stupid too. So all of that stuff comes into play. But the fact of the matter is, when I go back and look at this, I'm like, man, he, he actually desires, he, he doesn't need me to be together. He uses my weakness, right? You know, like this morning I woke up and I was praying and I was like, God, thank you so much for giving me a sermon and a word to preach or whatever. Because I worked so hard on, on it for, and, and I had nothing because I felt like I couldn't even just add up two plus two and make them just one sentence make sense, you know? And every time it's so gut-wrenching, but God doesn't need me to be awesome. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'll do a very poor job when, it's, when it falls on me. And so it's a gift. It hurts. It's frustrating, but it produces the fruit. Like it really squeezes me and gets me out of the way so I can just only preach him, you know? And, 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 you know, so a lot of sometimes, you know, when I preach and sometimes when y'all respond, you say, man, that was an awesome sermon. I'm sitting there just as amazed as you like it was because I feel so broken in the midst of it that I couldn't even even grasp it. You know, this, you know, I'm just leaning on this point so much because. Man, this is such an uncomfortable place for us as believers. We hate being that dependent. We hate being jars of clay. We don't want to be jars of clay. We want to be Brad Pitt. We want to be Denzel Washington out this thing, right? Like we want to be out there killing it, ripped muscles, smart. You know what I'm saying? Mixed with Steve Jobs, all of that. It's not happening. You know what I'm saying? And God doesn't need that, right? And so it, it, it's it's a it's a hard place to be. It's a hard thing to work work through. Another point here is that we're simply unworthy to carry such a treasure. It's another thing too. Paul keeps pointing back to this idea of humility. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, it's not going to be on the screen, but he starts the whole um, chapter off by saying, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. It's this idea of we have to get small, you know what I'm saying? Like we think too much of ourselves, and when we do, we get in front of God and we get in front of the mission, you know what I'm saying? Um... We get in front of the mission. So let me just go on a little bit, right? So not too long ago, we were inside of Philippians 2, and I want to read this to you because this very point that Paul is making about um, the idea of humility, this jar of clay, this weakness, us humbling ourselves in the process, um, God led the way in this with his son Jesus, right? Because Jesus, well, let me just read the scripture to you. It's a whole lot better. All right, Philippians 2, 5 uh, through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see that? So he set the example first. He left off the throne, completely emptying himself, became a man. And he led the way that we could come into a relationship with God. And God has now called us into this thing too, as Paul has said. He's like, yo, look, God is trying to reveal Himself through His Son Jesus, and He's going to do it by shining into your hearts. You he just jars of clay. The goodness of mir- this is this is a beautiful thing we're being called into, right? But, but life doesn't work like that. Where we're at right now in America, we're in this thing where it's like humanism and it's like it's, it's, the, it's religion where you're being called to work out your own salvation. It's this thing where um, the glory of God is attempting to be stifled and be um, muffled out with this idea that we're actually good enough to save ourselves. Right? That, we, that we, we, we're, getting, we're getting overwhelmed with this, this gospel. It's not the gospel, but with a false religion that says, man, God will look good on you. You throw God inside of your, your knapsack, man, he'll bless everything you do. You know what I'm saying? It's the cute thing to do. He's gonna, you're going to end up on a private jet. All this type of crazy stuff that is really not what God is calling us into. And it's not to say that being blessed is a problem. Not at all. God blesses a lot of people. We wouldn't have this church here if there weren't people who sacrificed and poured into it. There's some wealthy people we've never even met that send checks here because they believe in the gospel and they want to see it go forward. So I'm not demonizing the idea of prosperity, but I am getting at the idea and, and what I believe Paul is getting at here is that there's this false doctrine that says that that's what the gospel, the life that is centered after the cross is and that's not simply not what it is, right? And the thing is, what's to be lost in this conversation? Like we're trying to save ourselves. We're like, we're trying to save ourselves because if we're not prospering, if we're not going forward, if we're not fighting for something, there's this thing, like we feel like, man, we have to save ourselves. But the Bible says, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose your life, you'll save it. Y'all got that? If you try to save your life, you'll lose it, and if you lose it, you'll save it. Everybody in life is scrambling as hard as they can to get higher, to get up, to get more, and to get more, and get more. I want to show you this inside of a scripture real quick. So, I'm sorry, hold on. Let me let me just keep going here. All right, so, Verse 8 says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Um, Being in despair is the idea of complete loss or absence of um, hope. All right. So when we're talking about Paul, we're talking about somebody who has been shipwrecked multiple times. Um, He's been beaten. He's been jailed. He's been lost at sea. He's been stranded. Um, he's near death several times. Like I said earlier, he's poster boy, poster boy for, you know what I'm saying, for affliction, for struggle. Paul has been through that, right? But the testimony that he's given us, he's like, I've been afflicted in every way, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not driven to despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed, right? And so that messes with, that's, he, he's, he's, he's speaking to the church when he's saying this, but he's, he's jabbing at this stuff whatever because it's like, man, Where's your God at? Where's your God at? But he's actually wearing this stuff with the sense of, I'm actually an overcomer. You understand? I'm overcoming right now. You're looking at it like, where's your God at? But I'm actually, God is all in it. And he keeps showing himself faithful. I keep getting closer to death and closer to death. And we're to the point of despair where it seems like all hope is lost. But I'm seeing God's faithfulness come through in it. And in it, I'm knowing God more and more and more and more, right? Right? And it's just like if we think about the Good Samaritan story, it's like this right here. The people across the street, you're not going to get a good taste of God. But my man who is on the ground over there helping this guy that has fallen into these situations, he's battered and he's bruised. He's going to get a taste of what the Lord is like. Because the fact of the matter is we were on the ground dead in our sins, separated from God, enemies of God, and he crossed the street to come save us. So in that sacrifice and in that suffering, we get to taste how good, the God, how good God is and get to see what he's like. Do you get where I'm coming from? So the, 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 the position of God is that he goes and saves people who are helpless, people that may have even caused their, their, their own demise. Right. Like we, we all the Bible says we all were enemies of God. The idea that we're called into the ministry of reconciliation, reconciliation in itself means that we are called to go and um, search and seize and and, and, and find people who were once enemies of God and bring them into this relationship with the Father. Enemies of God. That's the word that the Bible actually uses. Enemies of God. Not, oh, you know, been thinking about God lately. Oh, I'm feeling, you know, utter enemies, which means we go in the enemy territory it means we cross into places where things are broken or not together we don't stand across the street and just point at it like you know it's messed up over there they need to really follow God and get their stuff together we go show up we bring it to him because that's what he did for us he came and showed up where we were broken at right we want a no pain all gain type of God but that's not what the text is showing God works through our weakness and through our brokenness right all right. So in verse 10, it says, always carrying in the body of death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. If the death of your relationship with God is the good life, and that doesn't involve affliction or suffering you might be splashing around inside of the kiddie pool. This is what I'm basically trying to tell you. All right. There's the big idea that Christ has died in our place, and for us who live for Him, we no longer have to live for ourselves. Right. So it's this idea that um, we're decreasing, and He's increasing. That. As we look in his face, as Paul stated in the beginning, we're getting lost in his gaze. Like we're getting swallowed up in it. Our ambitions, the things we want, are falling at his feet at a way to bring him glory. We're getting lost in, in his mission. Does that make sense? We're getting lost in his mission. We're getting lost at laying it down. Like we're letting, you know, we're, we're, we're unprying our cold dead hands off of the things that are idols in our life. And we're giving them to Jesus Christ, right? Giving them to the Father. Um, I put a note here. It says, we have often formulated re- religious tools and sayings to deal with or make hard times flee away instead of grabbing a hold of God's faithfulness. Um, I just, I, I want y'all, if you could get a, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew uh, 16, 21 through 25. Um, I love this scripture right here. It's extremely telling. So it, um, it says, uh, from, the time, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and, and began to rebuke him, saying, All right, so Jesus is starting to spill the beans that he's going to suffer, Right? And, and, and not only is he going to suffer, it's going to be done at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, all right? So the disciples don't like none of them. These, these are like haters of the whole world. Like they're like, you know, just hater USA. And so they're like, yo, you're about to get killed by them? Like, yo, you're going to let them of all people kill you, right? And so, and so Peter takes Jesus aside, and he begins to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So here's the thing. Let me tell you what's going on with Peter. Peter is like, you know, like, yo, Jesus, I'm rolling with you, homie. I got you back to the end. You already know what it is. You know what I'm saying? Whatever goes down, I'm right there. And then Peter starts talking about dying. And then Peter, you know, I mean, excuse me, Jesus starts talking about dying. And Peter's like, yo, Jesus, let me holler at you real quick, homie. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. All right, come on. You can bring your robe. Come on. Come on. And he's like, yo, you're talking real crazy. He, you know what I'm saying? He's stepping to him. Like, yo, you're talking crazy. Because Peter in his mind is like he's like, man. I'm rolling with you. Like, what's going to happen to me? He's like, I don't like all this deaf talk, bro. I thought he was like, you're the king of kings. We're about to come and take over the world, and we're about to run it. It's the same lie that exists today, right? It's the same, it's the same thing people get caught in today. Like, it's like, yo, I'm down with Jesus when it's cute. We can roll. But, homie, talking about taking the loss, I got to scatter real quick. That's what Peter is going through. And what's funny is that right before the scripture um, God just tells Peter that yo, he's gonna build a church on him, and then this is the next scripture that follows. He's like, Peter, I'm gonna build this church on, you know, uh, you're gonna be the foundation, and all this other stuff, and 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 he's really giving Peter these props. And the next thing he's like, yo, get behind me, Satan, you know, what I'm saying? you know what I'm saying? But Peter isn't going through anything that that we don't go to, go through. There's times that I I feel like I have to actually come to digest this quite often on a normal basis. Um, you know, it doesn't always look like utter death, but sometimes it looks like just showing up to somebody I know who's hurting and in need. And I'm like, man, I don't feel like doing this right now because I'm a jar of clay, I'm broken. I can be a jerk, I can be selfish like anybody else. But there's this idea where God is calling me to die to myself and what I want to see the gospel go forward, you feel me? And so, and, and so when Jesus rebukes Peter, he, he rebukes him that hard and that's seriously because he's like, bro, you are getting before the very heart of the gospel. You're getting, you're, you are stepping into dangerous, dangerous territory. Like you are, you do not get this. If you think this is about to be the cute thing where we are about to throw rims on the truck and ride into Jerusalem like the new ballers, it's not going to happen. I'm coming into town beaten, bloody, with a crown of thorns on my head, getting spit on getting spit on by people who were just praising me a couple days earlier, throwing their hands in the air like I was so awesome. That's how it's going to go down. He eventually tells Peter, he said, when he fought, he, he he kind of predicts Peter's death, excuse me, prophesies his death. He says, Peter, you're going to be drugged around and led places where you don't want to. As you get older, it's not going to be cute for you either, brother. I think we have to digest that. The story may not be cute for us, right? 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 8 through 10. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This is Paul talking to the church once again. Um, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But, listen to this right here, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. Now check this out. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again, right? So he's showing this process right here where he's going through affliction and he's struggling, but he acknowledges that God has purpose in it. He has purpose in it. God is actually flexing his muscles because he got some crazy stuff for him to do. But God says, "But, but that was to make us to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I don't use the language like raises the dead very often, but Peter uses it often because he's experienced being this close to death very often, right? So much to the point that his faith is built to, he's like, you we're messing with the God who raises the dead. He can declare that freely because he's Indiana Jones out here. He's out there. He's crossed the street. He's in the thick of things. He's experiencing trials, these tribulations, affliction. But it's all to the glory of God. And at the end, he makes that declaration on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. We can't play in the kiddie pool forever. It's time that you got to get inside of it and really go in and whatnot. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way. I just mean it in the sense that um, maturity, I don't want any of our church to be deceived to think that maturity looks like growing in comfort. You understand? That's not necessarily it. The way we navigate our life so often, it's like, where's the next comfortable place? And anytime it looks like suffering, we're like, you know, I just feel like I may have just done something wrong and sinned against God. And we go into this religious mindset because we think we're earning our favor and relationship with God. So we think he's penalizing us for not making the best decision. So our whole life is really about protecting ourselves. How do we get good? How do we get better? So the favor of God will be on us. That's not the gospel. He sent his son to die for you. He doesn't have to do anything else. He's done everything. If you know him, he's, 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 he's put a place and attorney for you to live with him forever. He doesn't have to do anything else, right? Okay, let's keep reading. So, verse 13. It says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so, and so we also speak. I knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our outer self wasting away is a very sobering thought because I don't think a lot of us like to think Take the time to actually think it, you know, to digest the idea that we're actually wasting away, that this isn't going up, but it's actually our physical is going downhill, right? Um, It just is what it is. We're all heading to a grave, but for some of us, there's no life after it if we don't know, right? Okay, let me keep moving. I said so. Um, in verse seventeen, says this: "says For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look as we not as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal." So. Paul is making the point that it's a waste for us to um, assert our energy, chasing after things that are just going to perish and disappear, that the things that are physically in front of us, they're going to disappear at some point. And he is making the point that, um, that the sacrifice, the suffering, the, um, the efforts that we put and this mission God's called us to of spreading the gospel, of loving people, of being that light inside of the world, it actually is weighing in eternity for us, right? As we're here on earth, the work we're doing now is actually weighing in eternity for us. It's actually doing something in eternity. It's prospering us in eternity, right? You know, I think about... You know, I have, I have a friend I went to go see yesterday, and uh, excuse me, I went to go see him Tuesday of this week. It's one of my friends that um, used to come in the store downtown, um, one of the young guys. He's like 21 years old, and, um, and, uh, and I love him, great guy, right? Well, he was coming to my house uh, a couple, maybe about two months ago, and he got in a car accident, and I didn't know about it. And so I was calling him on the phone, and I kept calling him for weeks and weeks, and I couldn't get a hold of him. And come to find out, he got in this accident, and his girlfriend died in the car accident. His friend um, messed his legs up, and then he was in the hospital for several months, you know, and, uh, for a couple months, and then he just came home. And so I went to go see him the other day, and, man, it was, it was, it was gut-wrenching, like he couldn't speak. He, he had brain damage. He was strapped to a chair. His family has to feed him. They don't have any... Um, you know, the doctor hasn't told them that anything's going to get better. They're like, this may be what it is, you know. And, uh, you know, but he can't speak at all. He can slightly. I feel like he's present that you're there. And uh, it, 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 was, it was heartbreaking and it was gut-wrenching, right? And um, I left. And when I left, I was just kind of weeping about it. And I said, like, all I had for God was this question, like, why? You know what I'm saying? Um, I was like, why? And then then my cousin, he, he died earlier this year, and I was talking to his wife yesterday, and she made this statement to me, and she said, you know, Jay, she said, I miss, I miss having a man in the house that adores me. And the statement just, like, kill me, right? And, you know, Matt was pointing at this last week. He said, man, things in life can get so hard the trials, the tribulations, the stresses of life, they can get so hard that they just leave you with these why questions. And it's like you don't have a good, you know, good old religious or, or biblical response all the time to throw at them when you're hitting you. It just hurts so bad. And life dishes that out all the time. And, and when I think about what Paul is saying in the scriptures here, and the way he's talking about this light momentary affliction, Is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It thrusts me into this question like if I really, really, really believe this. Because the only way that I can actually digest the pain of what life offers and the struggles and the trials is to actually put it on this eternal thing, is to put it on Jesus Christ, is to put it on the idea that he knew it was this ugly and he actually died to save us from this very thing because he knew it was going to crush us but it was the only way to protect us from just a a, a a, guaranteed death. Because when you look at it, it's like, what is there? What is there? People are here today, they're going tomorrow. And it lands close to home quite often. At this age, too much for my comfort. As I'm getting older, friends are disappearing. And it hurts, it's gut-wrenching. But where do you go with that pain right there? We we have nothing but Christ. We have nothing but Christ. And what I'm trying to tell you is um, I want us to be sober-minded in understanding that we are jars of clay. Our life is fragile. And if we think anything else but that, we're deceived. And, 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 and I use the example of my friends and my family like that because that is what keeps me, it kind of knocks me out of wonderland. You understand what I'm saying? It wakes me up real quick like nothing's guaranteed. I have eight babies at the house. It horrifies me the idea that I may not make it home to them one day, right? But at the same time, it's still a reality. I can live in wonderland and act like it's not the case, but it's actually the case. So if that's the case, where can I lay my faith? And where can I lay my trust but at the feet of Jesus Christ? Because Paul, when he's making his statements, he's like, God is even, he, he's, Christ has defeated death. So even if death shows up, we still haven't stepped out and won. You get what I'm saying? We still have a place in heaven that registers in eternity. Without the idea of this eternity in the midst of this conversation, the conversation doesn't, it really doesn't mean nothing. Because if all you have, why would I suffer and why would I go through all of these things for the sake of the gospel going forward? Right. If there really isn't any forward, if there isn't no eternity after that, does that make sense? We are eternal beings. And so Paul is trying to jolt us out of this idea that we are just living for a here and now. We're living for eternal. Right. For eternity is what we're doing. What we're doing right now registers in eternity. And the suffering that we have right now is very much a part of the plan of God to bring forth the truth of who he is in his son, Jesus Christ, right? So maturity for us today, if anything, if we step away from anything in this sermon, it's for us to start, it's for us to, to, to grasp that idea that that is a part of the picture. So we can stop sidestepping it. And so we can stop wondering, like, is something wrong with me because there's a little tension and things are hard in our life. Hard may be exactly where God wants you. Paul, when he's talking here, hard is producing much fruit in his life, right? And he says, he says, it's death for us, but it's life for you. And the point I'm making there is that everything you're going through isn't just about you. There's other people, the suffering you go through right now is actually gonna save some other people down the road. You understand what I mean? I love talking to my daughter. My wife got pregnant at 15 years old. When I was 15, I was in and out of juvenile, selling guns, robbing, stealing all this stuff, and man, I regret it, and it still hurts, and it still haunts me when I go to sleep till this day. But at the same time, whenever I get the chance to go to a school and talk to kids, or I get to talk to guys on the block, I thank, you, I thank God so much because that pain, that hurt, that stuff I went through, I get to delayed before people to use it to save them. You understand what I mean? And they're worth the time. They're worth the time because I wasn't worth the time, but God came and invaded me when I was on the way to go murder somebody and his spirit just fell on me. I didn't do nothing for him. I didn't do anything. I have no idea why I'm standing here preaching the gospel to you, but that's the type of God. So when I look at that, I want to follow that. And the way I follow that is when I look at somebody who looks like men, they're lost. They're a mess. They look what they're doing to themselves. I'm like, that looks just like me. And God ran up on me. So I'm running up on them it hurts, it's suffering, it takes sacrifice. But it's what the Lord will have us to do and it's a part of his plan, okay? All right. I just want to pray real quick. I just want to pray real quick. We're at the end of the sermon. I just want to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, Lord, I pray, Father, that um, just help me be small, Lord. Help me to not care what people think, but help me to care for people in their hearts. I pray, Father, that this word registers with people, and uh, I pray that it registers even with me. There's things in my life I need to let go of. Um, We're all marching somewhere. And uh, Father Lord, sometimes it feels like the march that we're on as we are pursuing what you've called us into, it feels like it's gonna kill me sometimes. But at the end of the day, I get to still laugh about it and I still get to find joy in it because I keep finding you in it. As you even expose my sinfulness and my wretched heart, Father Lord, I still keep finding you in it. It seems like no matter how how ugly it is, you're standing right there with mercy and grace, Father. I thank you for that. I thank you for how it's bringing healing in my family. I thank you, Father Lord, that it's bringing a repentant um, atmosphere in my household where we don't have to earn your love anymore. You've given it to us, Father Lord. So we're free to be honest and say, you know what? I was acting like a jerk. Please forgive me. And it's healing. And it's doing so many things. Father, Lord, help me to stop loving comfort so much. Help me to stop complaining, Father, about this work you've called us into. Sometimes me and Matt about half crazy or whatever and ready to jump on some motorcycles and just go across the United States and disappear. And, um, but, man, you called us into a marvelous work. It just hurts sometimes. And it causes us to be perplexed. You called this whole church and this whole body here to step into that mission, Father Lord. Um, But we're not going to get there by trying to be good at what we're talking about. We need your spirit to begin to do a work in our hearts, begin to change us, to begin to um, reveal you in such a way that everything else is small and you just get bigger, Lord. So, Father, I just pray that people who don't know you today, that are hearing the scriptures, that they would um, that they would let go of whatever they're holding on and what's in between you and them, and that they can experience your goodness and your love, Father. So I worship you, I praise you, and I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.